we've arrived at one of the great prayers of the Old Testament. John Piper calls it the daring, defiant, disciplined prayer of Daniel. The Spurge preached this text and titled it, A Pattern for Pleaders. There are lots of patterns, guides, tools, models, acronyms in the English language to instruct us on how to pray. Perhaps you were taught ACTS. A. Adoration. C. Confession. T. Thanksgiving. S. Supplication. Adoration, that's praise God for who He is. And once you see God for who He is, then and only then can you see yourself for who you are. And then that moves you to confession. Then thanksgiving, thank God for the undeserved mercies that He has showered on you. Then supplication, make your request known. This model is good because you don't rush into the presence of God saying, Gimme, gimme, gimme. Or perhaps you were taught cats. For you people that think I hate cats, this is proof that I don't. One of our elders actually uses this acronym. Confession, adoration, thanksgiving, supplication. It's simply reversing the first two because it's hard to even adore God with known sin in your life. It has to be cleaned up before addressing God. Another acronym that's pretty familiar is HEART. Honor God with praise. Examine your life. Ask for needs. Request for others. And then the T is thank God. This acronym includes praying for other people, which I think is the real strength of this one. We actually used to teach our kids, not an acronym, but an interesting way, Wow, sorry, thanks, help. Wow, so that's praise God for who he is. Sorry, this is confess your sin. Thanks, thank God for things he has already supplied. And then help, that is where you make your request. Now, we're looking at Daniel 9. Which model or acronym did Daniel use? Well, none of these. He was more like Rab. Rab, now that's not near as clever as the other ones, but it's true to the text. R, recognize the character of God. R, recognize your character flaws. A, accept responsibility for your sin. B, beg God to hear you for his own sake. The question is often asked, which model or acronym is better? Acts, cats, heart, rab, Well, I think all these models are good. I don't know that you could go wrong with any of them. But, personally, I've struggled to adopt any of them. I just can't do it. It's it's too formulaic for me. I approach God this way. A soul vomit. I can't always organize it. I can't put it into neat, clean categories. It's just there. Everywhere. It may never make it into the second edition of the Valley of Vision, but it's an outworking of what God is doing in my soul. We always pray best when we pray out of the depths. When the soul gets low, she gets leverage. She can then plead with God. It may not be pretty. It may not be polished. It's likely unorganized, it's likely scattered, but it's the soul bearing everything. I'm approaching Daniel's prayer that way. Chapter 9 is a beautiful prayer. 
unlike some theologians, I'm just hesitant about making it into a model for you to follow. This is a unique soul vomit for a specific time in redemptive history. I'm not really looking for you to find in here the magical pattern that will somehow unlock newness and freshness in your prayer life. But I do want you to be on the lookout for certain elements. Elements found in Daniel's prayer that run true for all God's children and all God's ages. And how you organize and categorize those elements, that's, that's on you. Now if you're not a Christian, you may be thinking, this is a lot of insider language. I was looking for something a little more applicable to where I am in life. Well, try this on for size. Your soul was created to speak with its creator. And you will never be truly fulfilled until it does. Instead of reading the entire text before, I, I I want it to unfold to you like a flower. Stealing none of its beauty... Trying to understand the flow. And so let's just take it as it comes. Notice the first element. Authentic prayer recognizes the godness of God. Let's begin reading in verse 4. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him And keep his commandments. Now, there are some who teach that real familiarity with God is best expressed in a casual approach. Or in language that expresses how easily and informally we have entered God's presence. I'm hoping to awaken you from such deception. At the heart of all true prayer is an awareness that you don't even belong there to begin with. Notice Daniel's adjectives. Great God. That's actually the Hebrew word for power. Daniel sees God as strong and himself as weak. He sees God as big and himself as small. When Daniel confesses the greatness of God, he simultaneously declares the opposite of himself. Here's what I found to be true. When my prayer life meanders... In meaningless cliches, it's because I've lost sight of the greatness of God. Notice the second adjective, awesome. We overuse the word awesome in our vocabulary. Everything is awesome. The burger was awesome. That show was awesome. That athlete is awesome. We've used it so frequently that it has lost its superlative nature. The Hebrew word is probably better translated, O Lord, great and majestic. God, you are majestic. Now, Daniel's not giving God a lesson in theology. No, Daniel is reminding himself of who he is coming before. God is literally one to be feared. That's that's the word. In fact, other translations translate it dreadful. Great and dreadful. Notice as the verse continues, he keeps covenant. When God makes a promise, he keeps it. Daniel here uses God's covenant name Yahweh. In fact, he uses it eight times. God, you never waver in your covenant commitment. You never give up on those who love you. 
God can't be less than himself. He's a covenant-keeping God. Notice as the verse continues, steadfast love. Friends, God's heart toward you is not dependent on your heart toward him. And God is not exhausted by you. His love runs hard after you. It can't be stopped by any opposition, even if that opposition is you. Daniel is recognizing the otherness of God. God is transcendently separate. The Godness of God. That's element one. Element two, authentic prayer recognizes the manness of man. So Daniel is confessing his manness. Notice verse 5. We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. Now, please listen to me. The nearer you get to God, the dirtier you feel. It happened with Isaiah, and here it's happening with Daniel. Now, we've all heard our share of lame confessions. Lame confessions from athletes and politicians and those with large platforms. Sometimes it's the if confession. If I have offended anyone by my comments, if I have hurt you, then I apologize. Sometimes it's the I'm sorry for the results confession. I apologize for the difficulty I have caused the university. This is very embarrassing for me and my family. Sometimes it's the technical confession. I would like the record to show that I believe my words were inappropriate and now I see how my actions could be construed as offensive. Sometimes it's the avoid responsibility confession. Because I didn't have a father in the home. Because I grew up here. Because I never learned how to... There were many contributing factors to my actions. That's what you call avoid responsibility confession. Then there's the education confession. Oh, I've, I've learned so much from this situation. I now know myself better and we are learning to be a family again. This incident really served to make us better people. Then we've heard the move on confession. There are many things I, I could say to address the allegations. But the important thing for the American people is just to put this chapter behind us and move forward together. Now, not everything in those confessions is wrong. But by themselves, none of them are biblical. Avoid phrases like error in judgment. I could have done better. Or I didn't live up to my own standards. The language you use matters. Daniel piles up five different words for sin. He wants to cover all the angles. Wicked, verse 5. Rebellion, verse 5. Turning away from righteousness, verse 5. Shameful, verse 7. Treachery, verse 7. There's an, actually a sixth one. Disobedient, verse 10. Use strong language to describe your sin. God, I have sinned in every way imaginable. I've done evil things, rebelled, 
dodged and taken detours around your clearly marked paths. Church, don't use passive construction. I got frustrated. I lost my temper. Oh, oh, it wasn't your fault. It just ran away. Notice how quick Daniel is to confess. Not how quickly the confession was over, because you'll notice in the text it goes on for quite a while, but how quickly he started the confession. It appears from the jump. Confession for some Christians is like wiping their feet quickly and walking inside. Uh, God, forgive my sin. Now please give me this and help me over here. You need to marinate in the confession. This isn't a quick wipe of the feet and then keep walking. You entered into the holiness of God. And that holiness doesn't wink at sin. Is your contrition costly? Does your repentance hurt? Don't merely express general disappointment with yourself. Jesus had to die for your sin. It's not a light thing. It's not something to rush through. Why do we confess Why do we confess the concept of sin but not particular sins? Dads, have your children ever heard you confess a particular sin? Not the concept of sin. Spouses, have have your mate ever heard you confess to particular instances of sin? The common view from the pew doesn't like preaching like this. It's not popular. Kyle, if you keep preaching like that, you're not going to need the building you're building. If you're not careful, you can hear preaching on sin and say, yeah, yeah, I know I'm a sinner. But let's get on with it. Why is that? Because I don't want to be told that I'm a mess. I want to be told that I'm a masterpiece. Don't leave out element two. Element three. You begin to see your small sins on the same scale as the most grotesque sins. Let's pick it up in verse six. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, our fathers, and to all the people of the land. So from this verse, who has sinned? Apparently, a lot of people have sinned. Those both small and great. Us and our kings, verse 6. Both authorities and families. Princes and our fathers, verse 6. Both those present... In the present and those in the past, we and our fathers, verse 6. Those from the south to the north, Judah and Israel, verse 7. Those both near and far, verse 7. Everyone has rebelled. So Daniel is confessing the sins of a nation. Daniel didn't pray, hey God, it's, uh, it's me again, it's Daniel. Remember, I didn't, I didn't eat the Babylonian buffet when everyone else did. Hey God, you remember when everyone else stopped praying? Uh, not, not me. God, the real sins of our nation are the ones of my father and grandfather. I wasn't even a twinkle in my mom's eye when the major sins took place that caused this entire deportation. And you know, in a sense, that's true. 
Daniel didn't commit any of the sins that required his people to become POWs. Daniel was a child when it all happened. But notice he says, we. Israel was a unique nation, and there's never been another one like her. God made a covenant with one nation, Israel. And some people like to use the covenant language toward Israel and apply it to America, but it's not the same. No other nation has made a covenant with God. And when Daniel says we, I think this is a representative we, and then what I call a royal we. So a representative we, meaning shared citizenship. Like sports fans say, we won the World Series last year, even though they didn't play on the team. It's a representative we, showing solidarity. Daniel's showing solidarity with the Hebrews in their sin. So that's a representative we. Then there's a royal we. Daniel put himself in that group. He has missed and disobeyed some of the commandments himself. He didn't stand apart as if he were self-righteous. A self-righteous man would repudiate such an identification with chastened sinners. Notice verse 7. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness. That's, that's holiness. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us, open shame. Verse 9. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him. I, I love this little nugget. Both the word mercies and forgiveness are in the plural. So it's either referring to the intensity of them or how many times God dispenses them. Verse 10 continues, And have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophet. Do you realize every Sunday, we meet corporately. And, and once you feel comfortable coming back, you're going to meet with us. But every Sunday, we meet corporately to confess sin. That's weird. No other group meets corporately to confess sin. Not the Rotary Club, not the City Council, not Kiwanis, not book clubs, not CrossFit, not yoga groups, not homeschool co-ops. Now, sometimes we confess sin here in corporate prayer. Sometimes we confess sin through a song. Sometimes in quiet individual confession. When confession of sin dies out, the church is no longer the church. And let me just throw this out there. God is not surprised by your confession. In repentance, you're not telling God something he doesn't know. He never says, oh, mm, I didn't know you did that. So why tell him if you're not giving him any new information? Well, that's easy. There is no forgiveness without repentance. Element four. You begin to see your punishment for sin as right and just. Notice verse 11b. And the curse and the oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against him. Notice, Daniel doesn't try to escape responsibility. He faces the responsibility of sin and the result of misery square on. And we have broken the covenant. And now we're experiencing the curse of law breaking. Notice the end of verse 12. 
for under the whole heaven there has not been done anything like what has been done against Jerusalem. In other words, God, you, you brought this catastrophic disaster on us. The worst disaster on record. And we deserved it. It's like a child going back to a parent who has just, been, who has just punished him and saying, Mother, you were right to punish me because I sinned. You, you were right to do what you did. This is an acknowledgement of the Lord's justice. A lot of people try to spend their lives trying to drop out of God's school of discipline. And that just means little learning and lots of repetition. The purpose of this prayer is not to admit that we have made our lives miserable. The purpose is to admit that there is something much worse than our misery. Namely, the offended holiness of God. In every sin, the most offended party is God Almighty. Let's just take a little sidebar here. Some groups train pastors, and I'm familiar with these groups, and they say, before, before you, every Sunday, are sinning hearts. And you need every Sunday to hit them hard, over and over, again and again. Hit those sinning hearts. And then there's other groups whom I'm also familiar with, and they train pastors, and they say, before you, every Sunday, there are broken hearts. And you need every Sunday to comfort them over and over, again and again. You say, Kyle, which camp are you in? I, I disagree with both. If you are a follower of Christ, you, like Daniel, are always a people who are suffering and sinning. There are sinning hearts. And those same hearts are suffering hearts. Element number five. Pray God's history to him. Notice verse 15. Daniel says, And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt, it's like he's informing God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself. Let's stop there. What does that mean? It means go to God with his own history. God, you did this for Moses. You did this for David. You know what that's called, going to God with his own history? It's called reverse thunder. When God chose Israel and he brought them out of Egypt, making them his own people, he irrevocably linked his name with them. And as a result, if Israel perished in exile, it might be a fitting and a just punishment for them, but it would lead the nations to question God's power. Was Jehovah unable to deliver his own people? So Daniel batters heaven with appeals to God's honor. In verse 16 he says, It is your city, your holy hill, your people. In verse 17, it is your servant, your desolate sanctuary. In verse 18, your name. In verse 19, for your own sake. And it's interesting in this wonderful prayer, there are 18 verses. 18 verses before Daniel gets to his petition. 18 verses of heart preparation. 
Then in verse 19, he makes the ask. Now, I've had to shorten these sermons. Actually, you get a little longer version than, than uh, people that are here at the 9, the 10, and the 11. I had so many applications. I want it to just come with a lot of applications, and it's killing me just to give you one, but I think I've settled just on one. And this is the application. Discipline yourself to have a prayer time every day. Corey Tinboon, the lady who helped the Jews escape the Nazis during World War II, she said, don't pray when you feel like it. Have an appointment with the Lord and keep it. And I know what some people say. Kyle, I pray all throughout the day. While I'm driving, during commercials, during timeouts, while I'm on my laptop. Habitual prayer leads to what you're talking about, spontaneous prayer. And if you lose the former, the latter will follow. The most important discipline you can develop is meeting with God every day. And for those of you, for those of you who don't have a daily time with God, I don't know how you do it. I don't know how you're not divorced. I don't know how your children are alive. I don't know how you have your sin pointed out. I don't know how you process the character of God revealed to you in the Bible. I love what John Piper says in his kind of in-your-face sort of way. He raises a question first, and I, and I quote, Is it true that intentional, regular, disciplined prayer is a duty? That it is a discipline? He continues, you can call it that. It's a duty the way it's a duty of a scuba diver to put on his air tank before he goes underwater. It's a duty the way that pilots have to listen to air traffic controllers. It's a duty the way that soldiers in combat have to clean their rifles and load their guns. It's a duty the way that hungry people have to eat. It's a duty the way a deaf man has to put in his hearing, hearing aid. It's a duty the way a diabetic has to take insulin. It's a duty the way that Pooh Bear looks for honey. It's a duty the way that pirates look for gold. Piper goes on, I hate the devil. And the way that he's killing some of you is by persuading you that it is legalistic to be regular in your prayers as you are in your eating and sleeping and using the internet. Don't you see what a sucker he's making you out to be? End quote. <laughs> well, I'm too busy to pray. You're never too busy. To attend to your soul. Martin Luther said, I have so much to do today that I cannot possibly get through it with less than three hours of prayer. Now there's one last thing about prayer that you must understand. And that's this. An acronym. No matter how clever, and I like them. But an acronym can't take you by the hand and lead you. Into the presence of God. No, no. The Bible teaches that Jesus Christ takes his own by the hand. And leads them into the very throne room of God. Jesus is the only one who can give you an audience with God. Jesus is the only one who can make your request acceptable to this majesty. 
I'm going to ask you to do something different. I'm, I'm not going to close us in prayer. I want you to close in prayer at home. Would you spend some time now just soul vomiting to your great and majestic God? It may not be pretty. That's okay. Jesus beautifies it. Thank you for listening to this resource of Faith Family Church. We gather on Sundays at 495 Hugh Hunter Road in Oak Grove, Kentucky, and are a short drive from Fort Campbell and Hopkinsville, Kentucky, as well as Clarksville, Tennessee. For more information, visit our website, myfaithfamilychurch.com.